Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast, where we are training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Oh, it's good to see you guys today. I'm, uh, I'm really, uh, this was a beautiful day today, wasn't it? It's just beautiful outside. It's a um, really nice time of year in uh, Tucson. I feel like the weather's just really great. This passage of scripture that we're in today is so good for, I think, where we are as a culture, this sort of like season that we're in. It's amazing sometimes, you know, I I think it's really easy, in particular in this chapter, in Mark chapter 7, if you want to turn there, it's really easy, in my view, um, to ask this question, how does this apply to me? This passage, I don't think it presents itself just really quickly at face value. It's sort of like the surface level if you're not careful. You've got to work a little bit to discover what in the world is Jesus doing because there's some things in here that are kind of shocking sort of, right? Has this ever happened in your life? Has God ever said no to something? And it's just like, what in the world? Why would you say no to this, Right? You know, um, there is a very, very famous statue of Michelangelo's, right? It's the David statue. You've seen that maybe. I was going to put the picture up, but it's a nude picture of, you know, and I don't know. It's just, I figured high school people would, you know, you'd probably like laugh and giggle a lot about it. So I said, no, we're not going to do that. It's 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 a really amazing sculpture in Florence, right? And I don't know if you know any of the history of that David sculpture. It, it is pretty magnificent. But um, originally, this huge block of um, marble, there's, there's a sculptor that he, it was, it was a sort of a flawed block of marble. And uh, he spent, I don't know, something crazy like, you know, um, months and months trying to figure out how he's going to carve something in it. And he just said, forget it. I can't do it. And it sat there for like 10 years, and then another guy came along, and uh, basically he was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. I can't, you know, this, this marble is flawed, so no, and um, not doing it. And so it sat there for like 40 years, this block of marble, and, but, you know, nobody wanted to waste it because it's such an expensive, huge, enormous block of marble. So 40 years, and then Michelangelo comes along, and they commission him to... Um, uh, a sculpt uh, the David figure, right? So Michelangelo looks at it and, it, you know, it kind of screams no to him as well until over time he sees and he figures out a way f- uh, for the, the David sculpture to emerge because of its flaws. He basically cuts all the flaws out, right? And then what's left is this really magnificent sculpture of David. Now, um, in, in, you know, and originally it was supposed to be on top of this, um, this sort of like chapel kind of um, cathedral thing, but it's so big and so magnificent, so heavy that they say, oh, it can't go there. And then they put it somewhere else. And it's there. there's still controversy today of who actually this sculpture belongs to. I don't know. It's, it's an amazing, if you do a little research with it, does it belong to, to the city of Florence? Does it belong to Italy? Who does it belong to? It's kind of crazy. But it's kind of well known that the block of marble basically said no to everybody. And eventually, um, eventually Michelangelo reveals really what 
you know, kind of artistically is, is known to be like, this is a beautiful sculpture. I don't know if God's ever done that to you, but sometimes he just says no to stuff, right? This passage of scripture, uh, you kind of face that somewhat. I don't know if you've ever been desperate before, really desperate, but if you can think through a time in your life where you've really been desperate, I think this passage of scripture will speak to you um, a little differently if you can kind of think through that lens a little bit. And then last, I also believe, you know, that there's something going on right now in the now with us as a nation and it's really hard, it's really difficult to know. How does a Christ follower navigate through this just unbelievable mess, right? You know about this uh, caravan stuff that's coming up from Guatemala into our, you know, oh my gosh. I mean, if you listen to the media, which I don't think that you do, I mean, I don't, you don't even know what to think. These people, whether, they're, whether all of their intentions are good or all of them are bad, it's really hard to know if you listen to the media because the, the scenario is being exploited by our culture, right? Politically, it's just being exploited, so it's really hard to know. How are we supposed to navigate through this? What are you supposed to believe? This passage of Scripture, I think, addresses that, believe it or not. I really believe it addresses it. Um, and Jesus does some things. He says no, and it's like, are you kidding me? I can't believe this. And uh, uh, there's, some desperate, uh, there's some desperate people in this scenario. And Jesus is doing some training with his disciples. It applies to us like you cannot believe. It really does. Mark chapter 7. Now, Pastor Matt um, um, worked through the first half, and it was really good, you know, um, regarding human tradition, right? And um, he did such a good job with that. But I, Sarah came to me recently and said, you know, can you talk to Matt? so that he could, could you ask him to just stop singing the Fiddler on the Roof songs? He's driving us all crazy. So I said, it's just the way he is. <laughs> so maybe you got some encouragement you can give to Sarah. I don't know what she could do about that. But So starting in verse 24, here we go. This is great. This is good. Starting in verse 24, after Jesus, uh, in, in chapter 7, after Jesus left there, he went to the region of Tyre. I promise you that's the way it's pronounced, Tyre. When he went into a house, he didn't want anyone to know, but he was not able to escape notice. Instead, a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek of Syrophoenician. Okay, so Phoenician is, uh, Phoenicia is a Roman provenance, right? And she's Syrian, so her origin is referred to as Syrophoenician, all right? So she asked him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, and this is, this is shocking. At first pass, it's like, I can't believe Jesus is talking like this. He said, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, I don't know about you if you're like, do you follow Twitter? 
You know, I, I do. I follow more than I tweet. I tweet some and I retweet and stuff like that. But if you were to tweet something like this, you'd be like banned from Twitter, all right? You'd be, you, you can't just, it sounds like Jesus is referring to her as a dog. I mean, doesn't it? Just look at this. It. This is crazy. It's like, I, you can't talk like this. What in the world? It's kind of hard to understand, actually. But so Jesus says this crazy thing, all right? Then he says to her, all right? Or, or excuse me, then she, she responds, right? You know, in verse 28, she answers, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So that sounds like she's like, okay. And then he says to her, because you said this, you may go. And the demon has left your daughter. So she went home and she found the child lying in a bed and the demon gone. <laughs> now, I got some questions. And there's two questions, I think, right here. Because I got some questions right here, and I know you do too, probably, right? And they're always asked about this incident, right? Because it takes some work to find out what Jesus is doing. Why does he go into Tyre and Sidon? All right, we want to know that. The reason why we want to know that is because Jesus has primarily come to minister to Jewish people, and Jewish people don't go to these places, okay? These are Gentile cities, Canaanite cities. This woman was a Canaanite, Matthew tells us. So in Matthew chapter 15, sort of like the parallel of this story, right? So Matthew tells us this is a Canaanite woman, Canaanite cities. Jesus left immediately after teaching on tradition. That's last week's message, right? And he went into Tyre and Sidon. Why does he do this? It seems a little odd that he would do this and against sort of the norm. So the only answer is that, and, it, and we've seen this kind of before, is that this whole section of Mark right here, he's teaching his disciples specific lessons or certain lessons. And these lessons are for us too. So this was the first lesson, right? Last week, he was ill, or, or, or this is the lesson today. Last week, right? He was illustrating in terms of food. This, this time, it's race. So he was illustrating in terms of race what he had just done in terms of food. All foods are clean and all people are clean in the sense of being accepted by God. So last week, he's talking about all this foods, these food laws and stuff. There's no distinctions amongst, among foods, as being defiling or not defiling, there's no distinctions among people either. So he led them, his guys, to a Gentile city in order that their Jewish doubts, their Jewish misgivings, and their Jewishness might be challenged immediately. So he takes them right here. You guys need to learn some things, and in particular, about race. It's kind of kind of crazy, right? So here's the second question that always comes up, right? Why did he treat this woman so harsh? I mean, he sounds harsh, right? Matthew says that when she first asked him to heal her daughter, he wouldn't even answer her. So it seems like he's being really harsh here. And, and, and so everybody's like, why? I think that the answer is actually in Matthew's account probably more clear, where we're told that she first addressed him in this way. She, she says, she refers to him as 
the son of David. She said, son of David, you know, come heal my daughter, right? Son of David. It's a Jewish term for the Jewish Messiah. Now, she was, she was coming to him on the grounds or on the ground that he was a Jew and she was a Gentile. And Jews and Gentiles don't interact and, you know, we, we stay away from each other. We don't connect, right? So she's coming to him on that ground. This is why he said to her, the children must be fed, you know, first, because God wanted the gospel to go to the Jews first. So you've heard before in the Old Testament, right, God's chosen people being referred to as the children of Israel, all right? So this is why the word children is used here by Jesus. Now, God has never intended that the Gentiles be excluded from him, but it was to be in the order of the Jews first, then the Gentiles. Why? Because it is God's intention all along that the Jews or the children of Israel showcase, all right, or are a light to all the nations about who God is. That's what their role is. That's why he chose them. That's why he utilizes them. And they are to showcase, in essence, who God is. And so now when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's setting things straight, but he has to begin first with the Jews. He's got a lot of work to do for these people to kind of undo all this human tradition and all these things so that they get it, that, God, uh, that Messiah is here for Gentiles as well, for everyone. That's his intention all along. And you can go to plenty of places throughout the Old Testament and find this out because he's never intended that the Gentiles be excluded. But there's an order. So when she comes on the grounds of invoking all the power of Jewish tradition, he says to her, in effect, you're going to have to wait until the time comes, until the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. You're going to have to wait because I'm not going to get this out of order. Okay? There's an order to things here. And if I get it out of order, it's going to muck up everything. And people aren't going to be able to see or understand clearly the kingdom, what the, uh, uh, about the kingdom, okay? So you're going to have to wait. The gospel will go out to the Gentiles. Then I can heal your daughter. By coming on this ground, you've imposed, he is saying, limits and barriers on God. Until all these barriers and limits are removed, you cannot come. See, so he's not being as harsh as it sounds. You just got to understand how and uh, understand his language and what it means, okay? But then we have this refreshing kind of change that happens. It's really beautiful. The woman, concerned about her daughter, she's in agony for her child. She presses through and she says, yes, Lord, I know that's right. I get it. I actually understand it. The children ought to eat first and then the dogs. Now, you just got to stop here. Dogs? Oh my gosh. See, this is the part where you don't tweet that, right? But we're, it's, they're not, neither one of them, none of, they're not talking about dogs that just run around the street like ugly old, you know, dogs. Not the way you would use or refer to something being awful, like you're a dog, right? Okay, these dogs are talking about are like, think of those dogs that you have that are like those little cute things that you know, sit up in your lap and they're pets and you feed them and they sleep in the bed with you and all these crazy things. Not, not with me, but you know what I mean, right? It's like those little, 
Um, yep, dogs, right? Just pets. When you go to the vet and your dog is sick, you know the first thing a really good vet says to you? If they don't know, they look at their records, but they ask you, is this dog a, you know, like an instrument or like a working dog or a tool or something like that? Or is this dog more like part of the family, right? Because they want to know, right? So, um, so we're talking about dogs that are like part of the family. Like these are all precious things to us, right? That, you see, that changes everything. That changes, you know, we feed them snacks and everything and they come around the table begging for food and all that kind of stuff. And they're just talking about that scenario. So now you back up and it's not like what you think, right? It's not like what you think. So, yes, Lord, I know that's right. The children ought to eat first. So she understands children of Israel, right? Juice first, then the dogs. But we're not talking about dog dogs, right? We're talking about all these these pets that we're endeared to. So then she says, right, the children ought to eat first and the dogs, but even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the children's table. So then she says what Matthew records, Lord, help me. So the minute she turned from the ground of tradition and the Hebrew approach and merely as a, and, and moves to a needy woman concerned about her child, she, um, she said, Lord, help me. Jesus' answer is immediate. Go your way. Your daughter's healed, right? So by this incident, Mark wants us to learn that tradition is a way of building barriers between us and God. We found that uh, out last week, and it's even more intense this week. It's, this is about building bar barriers between us and God. Tradition always does this stuff, but faith which is where she's coming from, it pierces through all of this stuff right to the heart of God. That's what he's after, faith. And, and it, it's pretty beautiful how it unfolds here. So when we come to God in simple faith without any form or ritual or prescribed words, just open up your, our, our, our spirits open in need before a providing God, a God who wants to provide the answer is always instant and immediate and healing comes. This is what God is after and this is God's nature. This is why we worship um, really on the inside. It's about our inner response by what we think while we're singing and praying rather than our outward form. So the style and the form, that's what we get all hung up on, but that's not it. It's about the function, not the form, right? Okay, so just really quickly then, uh, let's talk about worship just for a second. Are you worshiping God this morning? Have you been worshiping God this morning? Is your spirit open to him, recognizing an immediate relationship to him in which nothing to do with whether you're sitting or standing or bowing or singing or praying, you know, because that's not actually got anything to do with worship. Have you come as a child of God admitting your need that's the way we come. When we come kind of in that way, empty, admitting our need and responding to his provision for that need with a thankful heart, with your whole person involved, spirit, mind, will, emotions, and body in their right, proper order, not emotions first, not physical stuff first, right? But responding as a whole person in spirit and truth, that's when you're worshiping God. And the Father seeks people like this to worship Him. 
So that's why Jesus wants it. There's a recognition that she's got things. She, she understands things. You can go, your daughter's healed <laughs> from a distance. Which he, you know, this is amazing that he does it like this, right? So Mark is dealing with Jesus' training of the 12 disciples as he seeks to instruct them about who he is. It's further, we, we need this too, right? We get all hung up on the things he does and that's what we want to get focused on is all the things he does instead of he wants us to understand who he is, who he is. Hmm. And I just think you can rest in that for a little bit. Jesus left the nation of Israel and he's gone to the Gentile regions into Tyre into Sidon, on the coast of Palestine. So Jesus continues his ministry among the Gentiles. And I think it's kind of startling to realize that virtually a three-year ministry that Jesus has, he spends a third of it with all the Gentiles, right? With With the Gentiles. I think that's actually pretty significant. This fact, it's been kind of hidden because of the emphasis on his ministry amongst the Jews. But obviously he was seeking to give his disciples a sense of mission, and understanding and ministry to the Gentile world as well as to the Jews. People that are not like them. (laughs) Okay? And really far from who they are. People that they naturally just really struggled with. So now look at verse 31. His, you know, it's kind of his travels to the region on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee right? As he's training his 12 disciples. Verse 31, then Jesus went out again from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. That's the 10 cities. These are all Gentile cities. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and they asked him to place his hands on him after Jesus took him aside privately. And this is crazy. Jesus goes through these antics and it's kind of like strange, all right? So he takes him aside privately, away from the crowd. He puts his fingers in the man's ears, right? That's kind of weird. And then after spitting, you know, on his hands, he touches his tongue, and that's even weirder. And then he looks up to heaven, and you never see Jesus do this. He looks up to heaven, and with a sigh, he says this. He says, epatha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened, his tongue loosened, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus ordered them this, and he's done this before, but this is, This is a little crazy. He orders them not to tell anybody. But as much as he ordered them not to do this, they proclaimed it all the more because people always do what Jesus says. (laughs) I think that's actually really crazy. People were completely astonished and said, he's done everything well. Way to go, Jesus. You totally nailed it. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Mark is kind of careful here, if, you, if you're paying attention, to tell us, uh, right, this took place in an area called the Decapolis, the 10 Greek cities on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This is all like non-Jewish territory. And there's these 10 cities, this is a big place, you know, this, this is not about the Jewish people. He wants to point that out, and he points out that Jesus went into this region in kind of a strange way. Instead of coming directly back into Galilee, he left Tyre and Sidon. He went by the northern route through what is presently the country of Syria. And he continued down the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the southern part of that region. And this is like going the long way. 
So he takes about eight months to do this. And if, if you look at the map of Israel, he goes out through this area called the Golan Heights. It's really beautiful, and Israel's really proud and protective of it. And these borders surrounding uh, that part of Israel, you can see Jordan and Syria and all that from being in this area, all right? So actually, I have this really great picture where on the other side of the border, the fence, the wall fence thing, uh, it's, it's a picture of that uh, terrorist organization called Hezbollah. It's a flag, right? Right on these borders, they're really proud to put these flags up around there. It's, it's a kind of a crazy area. That's where he goes through there. And it's a, kind of a well-known way to get out there, but it's going to take him about eight months so this is another one of these incidents now where um, Jesus is with his disciples and he wants them to learn some things, right? He's ministering to those who were not Jews and he's involved in teaching the disciples and training them about what he wants them to learn. So these are the things he wants us to learn. And part of it is that we have to act in faith towards God. That's part of what he wants uh, them to learn. And that's the thrust of the thing that he's doing when he's healing this man who's deaf and, and can't speak. It's about faith. That's the lesson here. When you consider it, right, when you think about this, the condition of this guy, it's actually really, uh, it's kind of really a bad condition, especially given the time and the context, right? This man is both deaf and he can't speak. He couldn't hear, he couldn't speak, so he couldn't read, and he was shut away from God and the scriptures. He couldn't hear a testimony, he couldn't ask a question. He was living in a silent world of complete isolation from everybody around him. So he represents a very difficult kind of person to reach. Not just being difficult and he can't speak or can't hear, but think of things metaphorically. You, you know any people in your life that are just like, there's no way. They don't get it. They're not going to get it. It's like they just can't hear. It's like when you talk, you're just talking about nothing. It doesn't make any sense. And it's just going nowhere. Really difficult people. That's who this person represents here. So it explains what Jesus did with this man. Now, now it's going to begin to make sense why it sounds so weird. What he, what he did. He took him aside privately. Think about that. So often we do things just the wrong way. We go about reaching people just the wrong way. So Jesus takes him aside privately. And you got to know this. Those who are deaf have told me that it's embarrassing to be deaf because no one can see your difficulty. It just doesn't present itself. Um, Linda and I have some, uh, just a good, sweet friend in, in our life. Uh, she was a part of the youth group in uh, San Jose where I was a youth pastor. And when I got there, uh, when I arrived new as a, a youth pastor um, at this church, um, they, they kind of welcomed me or initiated me by TPing my house. So there was a ton of these teenagers and they, I think they stole all the toilet paper out of their own parents' home and then they pooled their money and they went and they bought toilet paper because you guys, there was enough toilet paper to toilet paper like eight houses. My house was covered up to where you could not see out of my house, let alone see in. It was 
unbelievable. I don't know if Matt Miller was there, but if he, he probably was, right? But um, when I figured out late at night what was going on because toilet paper was hitting things and they were not exactly being um, uh, quiet about things, just before the police arrived, I went outside. I didn't even call the police, but I go outside and I snuck through the toilet paper and I got the garden hose. And it was so great because it was high pressure garden hose. It was like great water pressure. And, and everybody, when they realized what was going on, they just scattered and they ran down the street and everybody except for one girl, she did not see me coming. I snuck up behind her. I grabbed her around the neck kind of shoulders and I took that hose and I'm like, Pah! I didn't even care if I was getting wet. And I just like hosed her down, just Pah! and she was having a fit and I drenched her. And then she began to lay on the ground because she was just like, this is terrible. And I just just drowned her, right? And I was relentless. I'm like, I couldn't catch anybody, but you're dumb enough to like be here. You're getting it for everybody, right? So she's having a cow. And then all of a sudden, people start wandering back. And they're like, Pastor Ben, you know, you got to let up a little bit. And I'm like, let up. Get out of here, right? No, 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 you don't understand. She didn't know you were coming because she's deaf. Oh, yeah. Now I feel like a dirtbag. Oh, my gosh. Like, how am I supposed to know? She didn't hear me coming, you know? And I'm like, you know? Oh, yeah. Now, now listen, it sounds really horrible, but, you know, later on, she was milking it too, right? She was playing it up. Like she knew, you know, there's no way I knew. How could I know, right? And so, yeah, everybody kind of worked it with me a lot. And, uh, you know, later she became a really great youth leader in the youth group. And uh, she married another uh, guy. She's Lebanese and she, her husband is Indian and they have beautiful children. They were still really great friends. Um, they're just awesome people. But she didn't know I was coming, all right, and who would? All right, so now think about this. Think about this guy. If you were blind or you had some sort of other lame, uh, you know, uh, disability of some kind, you could see it and make allowances. But if you're deaf, nobody can see it. And it's embarrassing to ask people to shout or repeat what they have to say. So out of consideration and compassion for this guy, in the tenderness of the heart of Jesus, he leads him aside from the crowd to deal with him in private. That makes a lot of sense. Jesus is brilliant here. Then he does some unusual things that begin to make sense. He puts his fingers into the ears of the guy. Why? Then he spits on his fingers and he touches the guy's tongue. It makes sense, actually, when you think about it. And then look into the heaven. He sighed. All this before he says the words, be opened, right? It's only been recently that I begin to understand why he does this. I didn't know this until just recently. Unquestionably, it's because he wants to wake up this man's faith. And in order to do this, he acts out what he wants to convey to him. That's what Jesus is doing. That's why it seems so odd. He's acting it out for him. He puts his fingers into his ears to indicate to the man that he intends to heal them. That's why he does it. 
he wets his fingers and touches the man's tongue to indicate that he's going to heal his tongue and that words are going to come freely from his mouth now. He looks up into heaven to indicate that the power for this must come from God and he sighs, not so much as a sigh as a breathing out, but to convey to the man that it is by the power of God that he will be made well. Now it makes sense what he's doing. Like everything Jesus does. When Jesus could see his eyes and the response, the look of faith, the look of comprehension of what he intended to do, then the word, aphatha, the Aramaic word, which Peter undoubtedly made sure Mark understood, because Mark's the one recording this incident, it means be opened. And the, main immediate, uh, 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 the man immediately began to hear and he began to speak. This is really cool. That's amazing, especially for those who recover their hearing after a long period of time. Silence, you know, like that. You, you, can't, you, have, you can't just like speak immediately. You have to learn how to speak again. You have to learn how. So this man instantly began to speak again. This was Jesus' way of showing us. And the disciples who were watching that faith is a necessary ingredient to receiving anything from God. Faith. That's big. Believing in the activity of an invisible God who, despite the fact that you can't see him, is ready to work in your life. We always want to see. We always want the miracles but this is the way God works. So he awakens this guy's faith. He causes him to believe in the invisible. This is the essential, this is essential to all the God's activity amongst us. Immediately, he begins to take steps now to prevent the abuse of this miracle. That's what happens next. Look at verse 36. He begins to try to prevent the abuse. All right, so Jesus orders them not to tell anybody because as much as he ordered them not to do this, they proclaim it the more. See, we, we, we already know all this, right? I want you to notice that there's some changes in the pronouns here. This is, the words are big. Up to this point, he's been dealing with the man. Now he's dealing with the crowd. And he challenges and charges the crowd. He orders the crowd not to tell anybody. So all the language changes here, the Greek verbs, the tenses. He, they, it, it all indicates, by the way, that he's repeating himself over and over again, ordering them not to tell anybody. They were beginning to go out to the countryside and tell of this exciting Mary. Why does he do this? The reason he does this, and he does this on previous occasions, is because he's trying to prevent the misguided emphasis. He, he doesn't want to be known as just a wonder worker. That's not it. That's what everybody wants, but that's not what he wants. So that's why he's so adamant, ordering them. Would you guys just keep your mouth quiet, please? But what I want you to know, he does not say this to the man. Why doesn't he say this to the man? Because his eyes were fixed on the God who is ready to act. Because the difference between them and the crowd is faith. And an understanding of exactly who God is. Of what God is. And when that's the way you live, then your faith, or excuse, excuse me, then your witness is secure and good and right. 
to those around you. And so God honors that. So the lesson Jesus is teaching right here, through, from the first verse all the way through here of chapter 7, bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles in the kingdom of God. That's, those, that's the lessons. It, and it proves to be the most difficult one for them to learn. And I think it's probably the most difficult one for us to learn. When you look at Peter's life, he recoils from, from the, this idea a couple of different times after Jesus' ascension. He, he's in people's uh, Gentiles' homes and, and, and eating, with, you know, and he's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. And it, he has to learn hard lessons, right? The, the apostles wrestle with this on whether to include the Gentiles in the kingdom and on what basis in Acts chapter 15. They have to really work hard at this. Paul's conclusion, of course, is both Jews and Gentiles are included in the kingdom, okay? And united on the basis of faith alone without respect to dietary restrictions, Sabbath observances, or circumcision, or any of those kinds of things. Jewish and Gentile believers in Jesus can and must sit down at the same table together. Now, what are the questions for us? Because there's some. Do you really believe this, that this is an issue for us to wrestle with? Do we live like this? Let me conclude by asking just a few things. As evil, and it is, and there is evil in our world, as it escalates, do we run in fear and insulate ourselves behind all these kind of shelters that we build, right? Because we, we know how to do it. Don't think that we don't. Let me, let, me, let me meddle and get personal, all right? There's a reason why the area that we live in is growing. You want to know what it is? It's a really good school district. So we, we want to be, we want our kids involved in a really good school district. And there are school districts where we're like, no, I'm not going to live there. See how you can shelter yourself so easy? And I'm not saying we should all move out of here. I'm not saying that at all. But just don't think that we don't build up those, those things. There are neighborhoods that some of you would go, I'm not living there. I'm, not, I'm just not doing it. Why? Because, because of what we're afraid of and what's there, right? Don't think that we don't build up barriers and shelters or do we see moral breakdown as a, side, a sign of God, uh, that God is preparing people who are desperate and in dire need on the verge of acquiring faith? Do we see it like that? Now, I'm not saying, you know, when you, when you go back to this caravan thing that's going on, right? <clears throat> what a mess. I, I'm certain that there's people that are trying to utilize this in the caravan that for all the wrong reasons, okay? I'm certain of it. That doesn't mean that all of them are. I'm certain of it that, that politically our world and uh, all kinds of people are exploiting this issue for political reasons. I'm certain of it. But there's a reason why, by and large, lots of folks, desperate folks, are like, forget Mexico, I want to come into America. Why? Because of what's offered here. What's available here? And by and large, I think that America is compassionate and our nature is embracing. I really do. I don't care what the media says. They want to make it all feel like, you know, they want to make everything 
that we're all a bunch of racists and that we're, you know, not compassionate and then we just want to like build, you know, uh, walls and keep you know, keep people. I, I think that the media just is it's, it's a shameful thing. I mean, turn the news off and raise your children. Good grief. It's, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. So what's the answer? What are the answers? Well, the answer is, I think, if you look through the lens of Jesus, it's, it's all about being compassionate. I, there's balance. I mean, what do you, you think Jesus would be just like, oh, yeah, the laws, forget it. You know, no way. There's just no way. I mean, he's, he's not about that. But, but I think that the, that, that the balance says, let's pay attention here and look at opportunities in our world to be compassionate and loving and kind to folks and stop living in fear and try to insulate and isolate ourselves in a way that protects us from the bad stuff, right? Because I think that it's our mission and our mandate to go to places where the desperate congregate. I think that's our mission and our mandate. There's a lot of desperate folks that need, that need us. And by the way, the thing that we just did last Sunday that you're, that's coming to fruition today, right? I said uh, we committed to 100 plus turkey family Thanksgiving dinner things, right? And, and 80 angel projects and, and a bunch of Christmas stockings for um, uh, that, that, that the four life has provided through um, young life, right? For for young women that need help during Christmas. You know, all that stuff is awesome. But you know what? It's still, you can still hide behind that because you can just go down to the store, write a check, and all of us are capable of doing that. And, you know, 200 plus of those, and it's awesome. But you can still write a check and you never got to, like, touch anybody. Right? You can just kind of do that and feel awesome. And, and we should. Because it's ridiculous for a church like us not to be able to do that. And we did. So I'm, I'm commending and encouraging you, but it should not also just relieve us of going and being a part of people's lives that are really having a hard time. Put that, you know, are we brave enough to cross into foreign boundaries and offer Christ to people? <laughs> are you brave enough? Or you're like, ah, Mexico, that place is unsafe. I'm not going on that trip. I'm not taking my kids over there. Man, sometimes we just have a hard time getting parents letting their kids go to camp with us. I'm like, golly, come on, you guys. Do we feel threatened when we have a sense of being overrun by cultures moving into our area? Come on, if I'm honest, I, you know, it, just, it starts to bug me once in a while just how things are going. Or are you excited knowing that God is at work in a new way? It's kind of, man, this gets personal, doesn't it? Why did Jesus have to do this with his guys? He spent a long time with them. If you add up his intense three-year time, this, this, this issue, he spends a lot of time in this. A lot. I think because it's hard. I think it's hard for us. I, it's hard for me. Believe me, it's... I, I, it, it's a, it's, there's some tension here, isn't it? It's intended that way. And Jesus ex, exposes that tension about the kingdom and how it works. 
right? And faith is at the key and at the core of all of this. Very happy with me just for a moment. Lord, thank you for how this passage just like pierces us like this and, and, it, and it applies to the now. There's some serious questions for all of us here. Why did, you, why did your son Jesus go to Tyre and Sidon? <laughs> Man, that's where the lessons were and are. I know that's where they are for us too. This is a beautiful place to live, Lord God. Vale is so great. It's such a healthy community. Schools are good. Neighborhoods are good. But help us not to just like hide behind all these shelters and things, but to remember that we gotta go places that are difficult. People that are desperate kind of congregate. Help us not to be afraid of that. We don't want us to be a church that just write some checks, buy some stuff and let, you know, not deal with the issues of why people are struggling so bad. Help us really dig into people's lives. And it, it takes work to do that. Start with us, Lord. Start with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys, have a really good day.